stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. morning, church. It is a pleasure and honor to be with you this morning. I want to take another second and just bow our heads before the Lord to ask for his help and understanding his scriptures this morning. So if you could, I'll give you a moment to quiet your hearts before the Lord, and then I will uh, lead us in another prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of gathering in your name, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God, for your love for us. We thank you this morning for the cross. We thank you, Lord, for your good purposes for us. We thank you, Lord, again, that the unfolding of your word gives light. And we ask for the illumination of your Holy Spirit this morning to understand your word and to put it into practice. God, we thank you for your many gifts, your many blessings. I pray you you would help us to live in light of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. You know, that phrase can make us either hope or despair. I'm probably like you in that this week I was watching all the news about Afghanistan, and, uh, and I watched as uh, dozens of men clung to the tires and the wheels of the airplanes they were taking off, and I watched as men fell from the sky. And that, in the midst of that tragedy, I was thinking about the words, the end is at hand, the end of all things is at hand. I think what we think about the reality of the end 
will say a lot about how we respond to the end. If we'll respond with despair, clinging to that which doesn't last, or if we'll respond with hope. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Now when Peter says, end, the word in Greek here is the word telos, which means goal or, or purpose or outcome. The goal of all things is at hand. The purpose of all things is at hand. The outcome of everything is near. He wants his people, God's people, have certain thoughts in their mind. Now, in our day, often people don't want to think about purposes. I can do whatever I want with whatever I want, regardless of the purpose or the intent that this thing has. People often want to determine the function of things based on their desires instead of basing them on their design. It's one thing to use a pair of scissors to hammer a nail into a wall if your hammer is in your car. But it's another thing to use a human as a shield or to use an airplane as a missile. The results of ignoring the telos of a thing can be devastating. It's important that we have an understanding of what the end is, what the goal is, what the outcome is, what the purpose is. purpose of all things. Am I saying that everything that exists has one purpose, has one goal, has one intent, has one outcome? Well, yes. And it's important that we know what that end is. Family, when Jesus rose from the dead, everyone say, Jesus is alive. When Jesus rose from the dead, He inaugurated a new day with a new hope. And here are a few things that that means. When Jesus rose from the dead, he declared that death is not the end. Death is not the goal. Death is not the purpose. Death does not have the final say. Up until the point Jesus rose from the dead, there were glimpses of life after death, mainly in the words and the lives of the prophets. They prophesied that life would ultimately reign over death, that God would bring a bright future to even the darkness of exile. When Jesus stepped into the, into the world, he walked in the prophetic tradition of resurrection by giving sight to the blind, by raising a widow's son by giving Jairus his daughter back, by raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. And ultimately, when he rose from the dead on Easter morning, he declared that the ugly sign of the cross was a newfound symbol for glory. Death was no longer the end. When Jesus rose from the dead, he declared The sinfulness of man is no match for the righteousness of God. Isn't that good news? 
that your sin does not have to be the end. That the righteousness of God totally overthrows the sinfulness of man. God took man's sin to the grave and buried it. Man's sin could not keep God down. Man's sin was swallowed up in God's righteousness. Hallelujah. When Jesus rose from the dead, he declared that suffering, get this, is not a sign that God has withdrawn his hand. Suffering is not the end. Rather, suffering is a sign of God's promise to remain steadfast and close at hand, regardless of the cost to himself. Suffering is a measure of the extent of God's love. And we see that when Jesus rose from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, he declared that hope is not some feeling for naive optimists. In light of all the turmoil in our world, we might think that to have hope means we have to be naively optimistic. But rather, hope is the confident expectation of God's vindication, even in the midst of excruciating trial and pain. Hope is resistance to a world system that says Things are exactly as they appear. No. What the resurrection tells us is that things are not as they appear. God is at work even in the most difficult of circumstances. The appearance of things is not the end. When Jesus rose from the dead, he declared that the telos, the goal, the purpose, the outcome of all things is at hand. It is near. What is it? The redemption of creation. The resurrection of the dead. The salvation of God's people. The vindication of the righteous. The victory of God's cause. It is near. It is at hand. It is standing at the gate. It is ready. It is on deck. It is waiting in the wings. When Jesus rose from the dead, he inaugurated a new day with a new hope. And that leads to a new perspective for God's people. Last week we talked about a new way of living and specifically a new perspective on suffering. And today we're talking about a new way of living with God's people. In light of the end. The summation of all things in Jesus the redemption of creation. When we get the end, fam, we live as resurrection people. People who have hope in the midst of difficulty. People who hear the call of life in the midst of death. I want to tie two things together in our text In verse 7, we hear, the end of all things is at hand. And then Peter's going to tell us some stuff. Be self-controlled, sober-minded. Verse 8, keep loving one another. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another. Verse 10, serve one another. Why? Look at verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That word everything could be translated all things. In other words, in order that all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. 
to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter's saying the goal of all things is at hand. In all things, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Everything is pointing to one goal, one purpose, one outcome. Redemption of creation, the glory of God through Jesus Christ. What does it mean to live in light of the end? Well, in staff meeting this past week, Gavin shared a story with us, a reflection on the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, chapter 3 and chapter 4, we find Peter, this same Peter, walking with his buddy John. They're going into the temple about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which is a normal time of prayer. And he goes in, and next to the temple was a man who had been lame for his entire life. Since birth, he had been lame. For decades, he had not been able to walk. His whole, his whole sustenance came through begging. He couldn't work. He couldn't walk. And so he, the only thing he could do to find sustenance was to beg for food, beg for whatever someone had to offer. And he asked Peter and he asked John for some money, but they were broke. Isn't that good news that God's people can be broke and still have a lot to offer? And Peter looked at the man and said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he did. There's a kid's song that says that this man went walking and leaping and praising God. And word got around that this guy had been healed. And Peter and John had the chance to testify about what happened, about how in the name of Jesus, the risen one who had died but now is alive, this guy had been healed. And the religious leaders arrested Peter and John and questioned them and told them, you've got to stop preaching in this guy's name. But Peter, this same Peter, When he was asked about the hope that was in him, about how this man was raised, about why he keeps preaching in this name of Jesus, he said this. He said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter said, you may tell me to stop, but my allegiance is to the one you can't see but to the one who has all power and all authority to heal the man who hasn't been able to walk all of his life. See, if Jesus has all glory, if Jesus has all honor, if Jesus has all dominion, if he has all power, it's going to change the way we live. It's going to change who we give our allegiance to. Now, this is especially important for those living as exiles among their own people. When your family rejects you because of your faith, I know some of you know about that. When your friends mock you because you don't do the same things you used to do, I know some of you know something about that. When your hometown crew snickers because they're just waiting for you to slip up. When your coworkers think you're lame because you honor the boss's words and work with excellence. When your friends think you're a nerd because you study and defend your teachers. When you live in that exile life. It's important to remember Kanye's words, that Jesus is king, that he has all glory, he has all dominion, it's in his hands. 
All of life is pointing toward the reality that Jesus deserves all the honor and glory, that Jesus possesses all the power, that everything belongs to him. And when we get that, when we get that we have been chosen to be the children of God, those who have an imperishable inheritance that will never fade, it's going to change not only our perspective on life, it's going to change what happens in here, how we relate to each other going to make us a resurrection people. There's a few things that Peter's calling us to be. A few things. And the first one is totally grace. In fact, they're all grace. To be resurrection people means to be a people of grace. People who know the grace of God. The first thing Peter says is that in light of the revelation of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, in light of the end, God calls us to be a people of prayer. Now, prayer can be defined a lot of ways. One of the ways that I really appreciate about how prayer is defined is we could say prayer is communion with God. Everyone say communion with God. In prayer, yes, we offer our requests to God, and God is faithful to answer our prayers. But more than that, prayer is about just being with God. It's about listening to God. It's about responding to God. It's about just being with God. And when we are with God, and we're with God as in, on his terms, who he says he is, then prayer is about aligning our will with his will. Prayer is essentially about your will be done. It's about getting on God's page, learning to bring all things to him, entrusting him with the deep and the mundane aspects of our lives. Now, last week we said that as believers in Jesus, the time has passed. The time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. In our old life, we thought we would find freedom by doing whatever we wanted to do. We thought that if we followed our impulses, it would lead to the good life. But that was a lie. And sin is deceptive. It laces poison with honey. So you think you're getting dessert, but what you're really getting is digested from the inside out. And as disciples of Jesus, we aren't confined to live for the give and take of human passions. We saw last week that suffering for doing good becomes a shot of sobriety that weans us from the tyranny of going our own way. We are freed from the line of sin, the lie of sin, for the truth that we were created to pursue what God wants. This is why Peter tells us in verse 7 that, Living with the understanding that all things are coming to their promised purpose leads us to be self-controlled and sober-minded. In other words, we need to have disciplined bodies and disciplined minds. This is so we can align ourselves with the will of God. One New Testament scholar says it like this. It says, the Christian is accurately to perceive the reality that Christ's resurrection has inaugurated. The reality that Christ's resurrection has inaugurated. And that perspective is to motivate a sound and self-controlled way of life. We need to remember the incredible opportunity we have to commune with the Holy God. Under the old covenant, God made a way for his people to come before him. But it was through a flawed mediator, a high priest who sacrificed an animal on an altar at the temple so they could stand outside the holy place and get a sense of the presence of the Lord. But Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, became our high priest. When he sacrificed himself on the cross, he brought the holy place to us. 
So when you and I admit that we are sinners and we trust Jesus as the perfect sacrifice who died on the cross for our sins, we are forgiven and cleansed and we put on the righteousness of Jesus. That means we have unlimited and free access to the presence of a holy God. We don't stand outside the holy place. We have the holy place dwelling within us by the Holy Spirit. We have the privilege of abiding with the eternal God, of doing life in his presence, which isn't a scary thing for God's children. This means that the place of forgiveness is within us. The place of reconciliation is within us. The place of renewal is within us. The place of peace is within us. And what Peter is saying is, don't miss communion. Don't miss communion with the holy God. You know, Peter is known for falling asleep while praying. And that can be encouraging for us who know that God gives his beloved sleep. But at Pentecost, Peter prayed and his friends prayed and a windstorm blew into the room and tongues of fire appeared on people's heads. And a few days later, when Peter and his friends prayed, the room they were in was was shaken. And Peter was saying, don't miss communion with the living God. Flee your old impulses of your old life and keep your mind clear so you can pray. You can commune with God. Listen, fam, I've been, my soul has been, has been stirred by prayer recently. And prayer has served to clarify some things in my soul. Whether it's praying prayers of lament, we just practice, is that going to go? Or whether it's praying prayers of praise to God. Prayer can clarify some things. All the things that don't really matter shake out when you come before a holy God. You know, I think we should spend some time staring out of windows. Just just take some time to stare out of windows. We get so so busy sometimes. We forget just to, to acknowledge the reality that creation exists and thrives without us. It does not need us. In my study over at the hill, I got some trees growing outside. And sometimes I'll just stop and look outside. And just remember, that tree has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God. And that is a really good thing. And so then when I bring my request to him, when I bring my laments to him, when I'm mourning over the state of kids in our school system, When I'm thinking about the plight of folks in Haiti, I can remember that this tree exists without my knowledge or activity. And God is able, he is able to take care of the smallest and the biggest concerns we could ever have. He's saying, flee from that old life. Practice self-control and discipline our minds. We can pray. We can remember that we live in light of the resurrection. We can live with hope. We got to be a people of prayer. And from communion with from, from prayer and communion with God, Peter moves to communion with the people of God. And what Peter gives in these next four verses are the three ways that Christians relate to one another, especially in exile. In essence, Peter is saying, if we're going to live this exile life together with the resurrection as our lens, here's how we do it. 
Here's what it looks like to stay united as a holy, peculiar people. Here's what it means to be the church. Everyone say, be the church. And we can summarize what Peter's going to say with three words. You ready? First one is love. Everybody say love. Second one is host. Everybody say host. You didn't know I was going to say host, did you? Host. Third one is serve. Everybody say serve. In verse 8, he says love one another. In verse 9, he says show hospitality to one another. And in verse 10, he says serve one another. Now, all of these are motivated by the gospel. And they remind us of the gospel. And they show the gospel to the world. So let's jump in. It says the first and most important of these things is love. Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. What is love? Baby? What is love? When the Bible answers that question, it doesn't answer with a definition. It answers with a story. You know it because he teaches to kids every week. Because this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and for our sisters. True love starts with a name, and that name is Jesus Christ. Listen, you want to know how to love? Jesus loves you. Start there. Jesus laid down his life for you. Jesus saw you in your patterns of sin. Jesus heard the cries of your heart. And he loved you, and he came to serve you, and he laid down his life for you so you could experience his love forever. That's what love is. Love starts with Jesus. So when Peter says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins, he knows the love of Christ. He knows the love of a Savior who looked at a poor, unimpressive fisherman and and said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to make you a shepherd of my church. And Peter tells us, keep loving like Jesus. Love like Jesus loved you. Listen to the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians 13. It's paraphrased by Pastor Eugene. He says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score on the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of the truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Doesn't that sound good? One New Testament scholar interprets this exhortation from Peter by saying, love doesn't respond in kind to behavior that destroys community. When you're treated badly or maligned, even in the church, we respond by building community rather than tearing it down. We give our lives for the lives of other people. In a church like ours where we are intentionally working to bridge relationships across ethnic and economic backgrounds for the sake of the gospel. In a church like ours where we are striving to take the gospel into unreached places in our city, there's going to be sin. Amen? (laughs) Golly. If I were the only member of this church, there would be sin. Much less when there's 100 of us, 200 of us. 
300 of us. 75 of us. Are we going to be hurt by each other? Yes. Are we going to make insensitive comments that make each other feel devalued and misunderstood? Yes. Are we going to make decisions that others aren't going to like? Yes. Are we going to have different opinions about not so important and really important issues? Yes. So how in the world are we going to live together? Love. Love earnestly, which means persist in love. Keep loving even when you don't feel like it. Let love do its work in you so you can love each other as Christ loves you. If we love one another like that, it will cover a multitude of sins. Stuff that should make you mad won't make you mad. Stuff that should just annoy you might become endearing. That's going to take work. It's going to take a persistence in love. It's going to take a lot of hard conversations. It's going to take not letting the Sunday go down on your anger. It's going to take taking the initiative, whether you were hurt or you hurt somebody else, to go and make it right. It's going to take work. But it's fueled by the Holy Spirit. It is motivated by the gospel. And when we do that, we're going to look like resurrection people. Why do these people get along? I don't know, but Jesus did. He put us together. Listen, fam, let's do this together. I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Where do you need to love more earnestly in light of the gospel? Where do you need to love more earnestly in light of the resurrection of Jesus? Where do you need to love more earnestly in light of the new day and the new hope? And whatever the Holy Spirit said, let's commit to obey without question. A resurrection people is a people of love. The second pattern of life for resurrection people is hospitality. Everybody say host. Look at verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, for Peter's audience, this second characteristic is crucial. When you became a Christian, when you were baptized like Chief is about to do and start following Christ, this could mean your whole family might disown you. And if your family disowns you and building business relationships are tied to family, this could mean you were left with nothing, no home, no income, no family. So for some people, the church was all they had. And so Peter says, show hospitality. There's a mark of resurrection people in exile is hospitality. Now, family, the gospel is about hospitality. God created a world in which everything was rightly related to everything else. And the Bible calls that shalom. God created a place where we could be at home, at home with him and at home with each other and at home with the rest of creation. But sin, when it entered the world, it twisted shalom. Sin turned us inward to focus on ourselves instead of resting in the love and provision of God, which exiled us from God and from Shalom. But when Jesus came to earth, he made home with us. John 1.14, the word became flesh and set up his tent with us, tabernacled with us, dwelt with us. And he called people to make their home with him. Abide in me and I in you. That's John 15.4. 
And he promised that when he ascended into heaven, he was going to prepare a place for us, a home for us, where we would no longer be exiled from God and from Shalom. We'd be with God forever. And when we trust in Christ, we find home. A few weeks ago, we prayed that prayer from St. Augustine that says, Our heart is restless until it rests in you. We find home in God. The gospel is a story of the hospitality of God, God inviting strangers to dwell with him forever. And this word hospitality literally means love of stranger. It's not like God is reluctant to invite strangers to dwell with them. God is love, which also means God is host. Every week when we come to the communion table, we are receiving an invitation to feast on God. Let that sit. A physical metaphor that we can taste. We're called to feast on God. In a sense, God makes his home in us as we make our home in God. That's what communion's about. And we do that together. We feast on God together. So Peter says, as a resurrection people, here's how you live. Show hospitality to one another and do it without grumbling. Host one another. Be home for each other. If someone needs a place to stay or a place to eat or a place to rest, it should be our joy to offer our homes, our hands, our lives to one another. I want to brag on somebody. We know that love doesn't boast. We can boast to somebody else. My wife is a baller. And she's taught me so much about hospitality. I thought I was a good host before I got married, man, but my house smells so much better now. When we first started dating, one of the things that was so attractive about my wife was her hospitality. Before we got married, she was living with her grandmother. And the reason she was living with her grandmother is because, some of y'all remember that old red van she used to drive? She was living with her grandmother. Because she had moved into her grandmother's house to host her grandmother. She moved in so she could care for somebody else. And you might think that would take a lot of time. But I remember on some of our, when I first started getting to know Morgan, the place where I would go to get to know her was to her grandma's house. Why? That's where she was. She was in Santa Fe South and she was at home. But when she was at home, she was always serving. In fact, she used to host all the neighborhood kids on the street at her house. Before The Voice came on on NBC, She would have all these little munchkins running around her house, learning to sing praise to God, teaching them the Bible, doing crafts with them. And all the the neighbors trusted her because she was the host of all the kids on the street. And then once we started dating, we'd have a a theater performance up up at the school. And she would come in and she'd make home there. Kids would come to her and she'd start doing their makeup, making sure they feel like they're ready to go on stage. And they felt ready because Morgan had hosted them. And they'd come over to the house, and she'd make Christmas trees with them. And all this, she just, just hosted. And it was a picture of Jesus. And I see this all the time with me. How many of you have ever been hosted by somebody in the church? Your lights go out, and you call somebody, and you're like, hey, yeah, we got a couch. We can have, he can have my bedroom. Like, I need a place to go pray. And they're like, hey, my sunroom is totally open. I mean, the belts and the domestics and the A-bears and the hearts and the hearts and, 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 and the 
D house and the girls D house and the single guy on 51st Street and the, and the girls on 49th Street. I mean, all the time what I'm seeing is you host the church. Aren't you glad to be in a hospitable church? In a church where after church you can go to somebody else's house and just have dinner? Even if you got nothing to bring? Man. That's the church. What it means to be a resurrection people is to be a host as part of a vocation, as part of our calling. Some of y'all have bought big houses just to host. Wrecking yourselves with mortgage payments just to host. God will provide. Don't buy outside your means, I'm just saying. Let's keep doing that more and more. Let's keep hosting. I've been hosted for decades. A decade, man. Every single week, I go into an apartment. I'm hosting. Praise the Lord for the Spirit's work. Let's keep being a, a people of hosting. So, a resurrection people, the people of love, they're people of hospitality, they're hosts. And the final pattern of life that Peter gives us here is for resurrection people is service. Everybody say serve. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks is the one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now the gospel is about service. That's the motivation. Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and made him and becoming, being made in human likeness, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I ran through those scriptures because we're almost out of time, but Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, God in the flesh, became a servant. He gave up his life to serve us. He gave up his life to give us the life that he deserved. And here, Peter says, if you want to be a resurrection people, serve. Serve. And I think the reason that we serve is because we've been served. I'm not talking about some dance moves. I'm talking about we've been served by a good God. When Peter here says, as each has received a gift, that gift, the word is charisma. It means a lot to me because my twin sister's name is charisma. It is a gift you did not deserve. And we've all received a gift we have not deserved. Many of them. A plethora of them. And a few things you want to see from this intro. He says, each has received a gift. The Bible says when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit endows you with gifts, with a spiritual gift. And the purpose of it is to serve a church. Serve the church, which means every single one of us has something to contribute. Every single one of us has something to give. Regardless of how old you are or how young you are. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. Look at your neighbor and say, you need me. We need each other. We've all got something to give. This blows through every obstacle to communion that that society would put on us. Each had received a gift, regardless of income, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of gender. Each of us has received from God, which means each of us has something to give. And what we have to give is 
We've got to be stewards of God's varied grace. This word varied means multicolored. I love this picture. The grace of God is like light. But when it hits the church, we're like a diamond. And his grace is refracted in a multicolored vision of what reality looks like. What his grace looks like. What I see in Martin is not the same thing I see in Jen. What I see in Kasia is not what I see in anybody else. Grace is like light refracted from us, through us. So each of us reveals a different aspect of God's multicolored grace. Through some of us, we see God's mercy. We see his heart toward the downtrodden and toward the poor. And it teaches us how to love like God. Through others of us, we see God's service. And by the way we serve other people, we see how God has called us to love and to meet the needs of other people. Some of us, we see faith. We see what it means to believe God for big things and pray big prayers to God. And it teaches the rest of us how to pray, how to offer our, our, our supplication to God. Through some of us, we see wisdom. Through others, we see discernment. And what we see is we see God's love, his grace on display through each one of us. Now, when Peter here says to him who speaks, Speak is speaking oracles of God, and to him who serves, serve with the strength God supplies. He could be talking about two distinct gifts here, about speaking gifts, about service gifts. But more likely, he's saying, in all of life, in everything you say and everything you do, steward it as a gift of God. Nothing that we have is ours. Everything we have is grace. Everything we have is gift. Which means if we're resurrection people, we're going to steward all of that as unto God. And what Peter says, if you do that, if you live, you do what we're talking about. You live as a resurrection people, a people of love, a people of hospitality, a people of service like this. He says God's going to be glorified in everything. It's going to be a picture of the end. It's going to be a picture of the purpose for which everything was created. God is glorified as we live out our lives as resurrection people. People of love, people who host, people who serve. I'm excited to live this with you. I'm excited to continue to walk with you to love you and be loved by you, to host you and be hosted by you, to serve you and be served by you. And as we do that, we preach the good news of Jesus to each other and to the world. Where do we need to love more? Where do we need to open our hearts and our hands to serve people and host people? Let's do it with the grace that God's provided. Let's live as resurrection people. Amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Our Father, I thank you so much for calling us to be a people who have the end in mind. Who know why we've been created and for what we've been created. I pray that through our love, through our hospitality, through our service, we would feel and know your love for us. 
and be a, a picture of the communion you desire with us, and you have with us, and we have with each other. God, we thank you for your word. Help us to walk in the truth of it. We pray in Jesus' name.